Jerry from Podcast Radio. Ewan Spence is joining me. He's the man whose voice has become on Podcast Radio, at least, synonymous with Eurovision. And it is a fascinating thing that's happening, of course, in the UK. Eurovision is landing here and going to be in Liverpool. Ewan, I bet you are hectic with the build-up to this thing. I have so many suitcases, travel packs, mixing desks, (laughs) cables, portable hand recorders. Uh, Yeah, it's all here. I also have a, a... Curiously enough, a raft of Scottish chocolate bars. Because when I get to Liverpool, the team from Malta will trade me those chocolate bars for some Maltese Twisties snacks. So there's not the Australian delegation is going to bring over boxes and boxes of Tim Tams, and they will go away with tonics, caramel wafers. So um, it's this great big melting pot, not just of music but of cultures, uh, and as I've clearly illustrated, food as well. I suppose people never think about what it's like behind the scenes you know these are lots of different countries coming together with teams behind these artists and it must be an electric atmosphere now for those who don't know you and, and the podcast esc insight with a whole load of offshoots to it just cover the whole range of subject of eurovision including being backstage every year you and what's that like uh, i first went in 2009 to go backstage this was um i mean i've been podcasting at that point for well, at that point, a ridiculously long time of five years, four years, four and a half years. And it, what's amazing is that Eurovision is one of those events that has offered so much more access. So if you were to go like to the VMAs or, or the Brits, it's just like, as press, you will get to see the show, but from a slightly better seat. Whereas at Eurovision... For a long time, the rehearsals were open. We could see all the acts prepare their song, the performance and all the props and the pyro. That's become a little less over the last couple of years, partly due to COVID. Um, We haven't really had a normal Eurovision since 2019. And also because the show has become so much bigger, there's so much more that needs rehearsed. So it's just like, uh, we're not going to show you the first week of people just working out where the camera angles are. Yeah, of course. So it's finding a different balance point every single year but even as we record this we're a week before the grand final you know we've seen short videos we've seen tiktoks we've seen youtubes we've got artist interviews we've got photography from the stage so there's a good flavor of what we're about to see over the next three big shows the two semi-finals on the tuesday and the thursday and the grand final on the saturday but it's also that entire build-up because countries starts can start selecting their act from September the year before most of them start their TV broadcasts in December their big reality TV pop star find the idol on ice whatever they use so there it's it's how I always love to describe it is if you love the show that's coming up imagine it was the FA Cup and then somebody tapped you on the shoulder and went, you know, there's semi-finals to the FA Cup. You can watch them midweek. Yeah, interesting. And you're like, wow, really? Yeah. And then you go, yeah. And there, there are other competitions that feed into the FA Cup in every single country. And you can, you can watch them. When do they start? Six months before the FA Cup final. And suddenly you've been given this world of football. And these people who love Eurovision, they don't really think that for weeks and weeks and weeks. There's all this content. And then it might take... 
another country weeks and weeks and weeks to find their contestants. It, it's not given. It's it's justice that way. Uh, why is it in the UK? This is specifically because I'm sitting in the UK. Why is it I feel like, <laughs> this is a strange question, You, why do I feel this way? But why do I feel like we don't see much in the UK of the build-up of who we pick? And I think that's because it, there's no prescribed method. Okay. The, the basic rule is we need a song and an artist submitted to the EBU, the team who organise it, in the middle of March. Now, some countries go all out and do multiple nights over six or seven weekends, um, Top the top the TV rating. Sweden's Melody Festival is probably the easiest one. There are four heats. There's a semi final. There's a final. Wow. There are six weekends of TV broadcast, and that show is bigger than Strictly would be in the United Kingdom. Wow, wow, that's wow. Just, it's so big that other music artists who aren't entering Melody Festival in will not release anything in those six weeks. Wow, because they're not stupid. All of the attention is focused on there. But then there are other countries that will just you know that might not have the budget. Or they might want to make sure that they have a certain singer going to the contest. So we'll say, right, there's not going to be a contest. We're just selecting you. Okay? Now, that could be for a variety of reasons. One of them might be budgetary. It's still expensive to put on six nights of live TV shows and selections. Austria used to do a TV selection. But this year they went, no, we are sending Taya and Salea. And they're sending this song. And we're just going to submit that song in March. Over the years, the BBC's used multiple methods. We've had a song for Europe, which our older listeners will recognise as that big multi-week spectacular. Uh, we used to just show the songs on Scylla Black's show, Scylla, back in the 60s. And Cliff <laughs> Richard would sing one song every week for five weeks, and then everybody would write down their favourite song on a postcard and send it to the BBC. Amazing. And they would just count them. It's just like it's far easier with a text, but yeah. We used to do it on a postcard. When we had Michael Ball, it was just like, we're sending Michael Ball. He's now going to sing four songs. Choose your favourite Michael Ball song. That feels almost better to do it that way, doesn't it? I don't know. Yeah. And and this year and last year, it was, we've chosen the act. We've chosen the song. And, you know, because the BBC wasn't in a place to do six weekends of Eurovision. Okay. The media wasn't ready for that two or three years ago. So it's just like, we're going to choose Sam Ryder. He's done very well on TikTok. And we can say to him, you're going. Give us your best song. Work with the team. Give us something. You are guaranteed. We've done the same again this year uh, with May Muller. And I wrote a song. And again, it's the same team who selected Sam. They said, right, May, you're definitely going. The song you write is definitely the song we're going. We can focus on that completely. And that's why you might not have seen much competitively in terms of the build-up. But May's been out touring this Eurovision song since late March, around all the Eurovision fan clubs, around preview events, because we can't vote for her here in the United Kingdom. So there's not much point doing PR here. Yeah, it should like, do PR in Germany, do PR in the Netherlands. Don't do PR here. Interesting. But yes, you have to do PR here, because then people like you will see that Eurovision's on. So there is this balance point, and it's about public service broadcasting. We've given May, as the United Kingdom, this massive platform to create music and to start a career. Sam Ryder, two years ago, was somebody who did the occasional TikTok video. He then got very big on TikTok. He goes to Eurovision, and three weeks after Eurovision, he's he's on Buckingham Palace's stage with the Queen's Jubilee. Yeah. And continuing to make the career, he saw in the bells at New Year. And that's the sort of stage that you have. 
And so where do you think, let's bring it back to this one. I mean, this is a UK-centric interview. I didn't mean it to be, but I suppose we're both sitting in the UK right now as we chat. We're talking about why people in the UK may or may not experience Eurovision a certain way. But everyone is looking at the UK with this one. Liverpool, I was going to say putting their hands up to host it, but being selected at the same time to host it. Who who was it down to Glasgow and Liverpool in the end? Yeah, I mean, there was a a number of cities put their name in. Birmingham was in there. Cardiff was in there. I I, I think (laughs) there was a really small, tiny one as well that I can't remember. But yeah, lots of cities put in bids. It's a bit like the Olympics. Yeah. And it's just like, well, we need this in the stadium. We need this facility. We need an airport nearby. We need a certain amount of hotel spaces. And so we've got it in Liverpool, which itself was big news. What do you think it's going to do for Liverpool? What do you think it's going to do for the... Is it a tournament? No? A competition? No? Contest. Contest. It does, feels weird. It's, it's not. It's 37 people sing it, sitting around a campfire going, oh, I've got a song. Let me listen to mine. I've got a song as well. It's it's slightly bigger than a campfire. It's slightly better lit. But at the end of it, it's just doing what human nature is, which is getting around and sharing stories. Yeah, interesting. Um, and that brings me back to podcasting. But in terms of value, it's probably easier to say what Turin's value was. Turin spent around 40 million euros. And... They reckoned that uh, with tourism coming in, the fact that everybody knew Turin was hosting, for them to spend that on advertising and awareness campaigns would have cost them a hundred million. Wow! They spent forty. They got the equivalent of a hundred million, but then the money coming back in over three years actually is in excess of all of that as well. So it is a multiplier. Liverpool is now on a world stage. It. it if it wasn't before because of the Fab Four uh, in Jerry and the Pacemakers. Yeah. But now they have this modern feel. And we also have to remember that they're hosting it on behalf of Ukraine. Ukraine were the winners last year and Ukraine are unable to host this year because of the invasion of their country by Russia. So it's a, it's a very interesting contest here because, yes, it is a UK contest. It is being run by the BBC, but there's a huge amount from UAPBC, the Ukrainian public broadcaster, involved we've got ukrainian hosts sharing the stage with british hosts and you know the banners the logos and everything are blue and yellow the ukrainian flag not the union flag Mm. so it's 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 also bringing people around the campfire and going yeah come on we're all friends look ewan thank you so much for explaining all of that I'm, i'm glad i'm glad my naivety has probably for the first time ever in an interview helped with the questions with this one because everyone loves eurovision or watches parts of it and doesn't know enough so i have acted as that role it was fascinating when i watched last year i think i had my other half's parents who were from south america it's not easy to explain this thing it's it's not easy and easy at the same time it's important to remember that People can absolutely love Eurovision and be the biggest Eurovision fans in the world, and all they do is watch the Saturday night. Yeah, that person is a true fan of the song contest. Someone who knows the semi-finals are on and watches the three nights, they're a true fan of the contest as well. Yep, they, they watch it more, but they're not any more status than the person who can only watch on Saturday night. Somebody like me who travels to Moldova on the weekend to watch them select <laughs> their song to go to the Eurovision Song Contest wow. is a true fan as well. But that doesn't give me any more status or badges or merit than the person who might be a single parent who has very little time and can only enjoy that one show on the Saturday night. Everybody is a fan no matter how involved they are. and Every single one of them loves the contest. 
And I suppose I should actually, of course, give you big ups before I let you go. The the, the podcast, what's the word you use? Picking a words, of course. I know it as ESC Insight, but it's more than a podcast, isn't it? So the, the easiest way to think about it is everything is called the ESC Insight podcast. But if you think about that like a channel, so we have different things during the year. So we have a daily podcast coming up because we're on the ground. There's so much happening in Liverpool. We are giving you a podcast a day to try and keep on top of things. But during the summer months, you know, we can't, there's no point in us doing daily. Um, so we'll have probably a monthly news. Um, we'll probably also have a monthly long form interview. There might be a special contest selection, special show that we're doing ourselves uh, going through there as well. But they're all the ESC Insight podcast, but our interviews are Chat Over Coffee. Um, our song review podcast, which people have been listening to for the last two months, is, is Jukebox Jury. When we come to do this thing in the summer, we might give it a summer contest name. Uh, so the ESC Insight podcast, to me, is a channel. And then you get lots of different shows, but they're appropriate to the time of the year. Channel was the word I should have used. You're right. I apologize. <laughs> you and last thoughts, I suppose, for anyone who's listening, whatever level they are as a fan, whether it's the Saturday night show or lots more, or they want to get to know lots more, what would you tell them to do? Go and obviously listen to ESC Insights podcasts, but also what's what, what about this specific competition? Uh, I think... The BBC has a, put in a huge amount of effort this year. Um, so for those in the UK or those who have access through the BBC Sounds app, there's a, you know, the music is out there. You have, you know, the music is the core experience. So any of your popular music streaming services, your YouTubes and all of that, like, are going to have playlists put together. And hashtag Eurovision is, is probably the simplest one because there are so many voices in this community. I am... You know, I have a team of podcasters behind me on ESC Insight and they each do different things. There's a whole bundle of other Eurovision podcasts out there that are incredibly worth listening to. The Eurotrip podcast is two, it's a dual host, wonderful chat and experience. You have the No Point podcast, which takes a little bit of a lighter tone um, to go through that. There's Eurovision Wars, which is came out from Spotify. There's a handful of episodes there, but it looks at how conflict is represented in the contest uh all of those serve different needs so what sort of eurovision do you want to experience there will be coverage out there right now hashtag eurovision just drink it all in um find how you like find find the show the property the website the tiktok the youtuber who clicks with you they are out there Find them and enjoy it that way. Yeah, you're just saying enjoy the competition or enjoy. What did we decide it was? Enjoy the contest. Not a campfire. The contest. The, the campfire contest. Get around the campfire. Don't have too many beans um, and just enjoy the light show. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.